Welcome to WFUV's What's What. It's Thursday, February 23rd. What's What is a daily podcast that explores current events, culture, news, and hot topic issues in New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And includes features and interviews exclusively from WFUV. I'm Nicoletta Papavasilakis. And I'm Leah Mallory. Let's run down What's What in the tri-state area. New Jersey's Governor Phil Murphy is looking to make liquor licenses more affordable for businesses. In a roundtable today, he discussed his proposal to update liquor license laws that have been around since the Prohibition era. Right now, New Jersey law allows only one permit for every 3,000 residents. The licenses are also pricey. Business owners can pay up to seven figures for one. But Governor Murphy says by making the licenses more accessible, it would increase employment opportunities in these establishments. He estimates that reforms would create over 10,000 jobs per year. The New York City Fire Department wants to hike up the cost of ambulances. In a recent proposal, the FDNY says the minimum price for basic ambulance service could go from $900 to nearly $1,400. They also want to charge $20 for every mile traveled to the hospital. That's a $5 increase from the current rate. The price hike proposal comes as a result of record high inflation and the increasing costs needed to provide emergency ambulance service. A public hearing about rising ambulance rates is scheduled for Friday, March 24th. Farm workers will get overtime pay after working 56 hours per week come 2024. Right now, the only farm workers eligible for overtime pay are those who work over 60 hours. The measure comes after a recommendation was made to the New York State Department of Labor about reducing the overtime pay threshold. Labor advocates believe that farm workers do not receive the same benefits as other laborers and are left out of federal worker protections. New York officials gave their final approval of the measure yesterday. The overtime pay threshold is expected to decrease to 40 hours by 2032. New York City Council members gathered today to discuss the passing of the Health Care Accountability and Consumer Protections Act. WFUV's Emma Murphy has the story. Today, the New York City Council held a committee meeting to request a new health care bill be passed into New York State legislation. The Health Care Accountability and Consumer Protections Act will make health care more affordable. This will be made possible through the establishment of the new Office of Health Care Accountability and an easily accessible website detailing medical costs at hospitals throughout the five boroughs. District 5 Council member Julie Menon says this is far from the system in place now that disproportionately harms communities of color. She says current websites are completely inaccessible. Price transparency is delivered in an unreadable JSON file. Has anyone heard of a JSON file? JSON is is intended, literally, I'm not joking, for, for data researchers and not the general public. Council members are now calling upon the New York State Legislature and the governor to pass the act into local law. With WFUV News, I'm Emma Murphy. New York is honoring the Lakota language this weekend. The Lakota language is an indigenous dialect primarily spoken on reservations around North and South Dakota, but it's on the verge of disappearing. This Saturday and Sunday, the Lakota Language Consortium is returning with a course on the dialect in an effort to preserve it. The sessions will take place at the American Indian Community House in Manhattan and begin at 9 a.m. on both days. For more information, you can visit AICH.org slash events. Pentatonix is going on tour. The Grammy Award-winning a cappella quintet is stopping at 24 cities across North America. The tour begins on August 9th in Jacksonville, Florida, with later stops in New York on August 23rd and 24th. 
General ticket sales start next week on February 27th and are available on Ticketmaster. And for some fun entertainment history, on this day in 2019, Ariana Grande became the first solo artist to hold the top three spots on the U.S. Hot 100 in the same week. The songs were Seven Rings, Break Up With Your Girlfriend, I'm Bored, and Thank You Next. And now, on to the world of sports with WFUV's Joe Masters. Let's start in the NBA, where basketball is back after a weekend off for all-star festivities. The Knicks and Nets won't resume play until tomorrow night. For New York, they'll take on the Wizards in the nation's capital, looking to continue the momentum from before the All-Star break, having won three games in a row. Meanwhile, across the Brooklyn Bridge, the Nets are also on the road as they'll face off against the Chicago Bulls. For the Nets, it will be interesting to see how the rest of their season plays out, considering the seismic moves they made at the trade deadline and shipping off their two best players, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Also playing Friday night are the Los Angeles Clippers, who found themselves in the news for making official the signing of former Laker point guard Russell Westbrook. Westbrook, who had a controversial tenure in the purple and gold for his inconsistent play, will now team up with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who he played with in Oklahoma City for two years. Moving on to the gridiron, where not too much is going on around the league, but the Jets are making headlines due to their reported interest in recently released Raiders quarterback Derek Carr. Carr is a four-time Pro Bowler who would bring the Jets the much-needed quarterback stability that they've been seeking for decades. Over to baseball, where teams are gathering for spring training. High expectations are surrounding both the Mets and Yankees this spring as both teams made major additions this past offseason after falling short in the playoffs. For WFUV Sports, I'm Joe Masters. Thanks, Joe. In honor of Black History Month, we're featuring a series highlighting black representation in music. Noel Hankin and his group, The Best of Friends, helped manage some of the first black-owned disco clubs in New York City. I talked to Hankin about how they helped bring disco to the mainstream. Tell me about The Best of Friends and some of your clubs. With five discotheques, Leviticus, Justine's, and Bogard's in Manhattan, Lucifer's in Queens, and Brandy's in Brooklyn, we attracted 400,000 people a year. So we had a really big-time impact on the disco era before it really exploded uh, in the general population. Taking us back to the 70s, what was the disco scene like from what you remember? There was really no disco scene. There was dances with live bands and house parties with recorded music. And the technology for recorded music had uh, developed so well that there was the capability to deliver powerful, crystal-clear music for the first time at an affordable price. And uh, we took advantage of that to entertain uh, black folks who were working in midtown Manhattan in growing numbers in uh, entry-level managerial positions. What was the impetus for this? You know, breaking into an industry where really there was no representation at the time. That's correct. I went to a a birthday party one day at a club called La Martinique. It was a couple hundred folks, mostly African-Americans, And they were dancing like it was Saturday night to recorded music. And I thought, you know, the dances are great, but this crowd that I'd like to tap into in midtown Manhattan, they've never experienced anything like this with recorded music after work, dancing like it's Saturday night. (laughs) And I thought, that sounds like a lot of fun. Today we have techno music and house music, and it could all get blurred in this like mesh of disco. So at that time, what truly was disco? What really happened was that the convergence of soul, R&B, and funk led to the development of what we call disco music. The early years of of our discotheques 
we played music that had lyrics. Mm -hmm. And I love the lyrics because they give you a sense of emotion and a context. Like, um, you know, Ain't No Stopping Us Now by McFadden and Whitehead. Or uh, James Brown, I'm Black and I'm Proud. These songs have lyrics that give you a certain emotion, and they're, and they're positive and they're uplifting. When you get to techno music with no lyrics, it's more mechanical. And uh, yes, it, it lends itself to dancing, but you don't have the same emotion. Can you describe the type of feelings these emote it, these songs, these lyrics emote it for you? When James Brown dropped that record, uh, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, that really resonated because, mm -hmm. you know, it took a little bit of a beat for people to accept black pride in that context. I'm black and I'm proud. You never heard that phrase before. And it was something that was fully embraced by all of our guests and, and beyond. Emerging into this new industry of disco, did you face any adversity at the time? Oh, yes, we did. Our first club in Queens was Lucifer's, and we didn't have a problem with that. But when we went to Manhattan and built our what became our flagship, Leviticus, we were looking at the east side because that's where our successful promoted discotheques were, where we you know, promoted other people's clubs and brought our crowd. But we couldn't find a place uh, on the east side. Finally, we did find a nice place, and they wouldn't let us sign a lease because eight young black guys in our 20s, uh, they didn't know who we were. They might have thought we were you know, a drug gang or something. I don't know, but they... They refused to sign a lease with us. So after all of that trouble, when the Best of Friends was finally able to open this club, what kind of crowd did you guys attract? Not all African-Americans. We had a lot of whites and Hispanics, gays, straights. Everyone came because it was the only club of its type that featured music the way we played it. Just elaborating on that, why do you think your clubs attracted such a diverse crowd? We created an environment where you felt comfortable asking anyone to dance. So you might have a CEO dancing with a, a mailroom clerk or a secretary. It, it, it didn't matter. Once you're on the dance floor, your station in life is irrelevant. And um, there was a certain amount of freedom involved with that. That was my co-host, WFUV's Nicoletta Papavasalakis, talking to Noel Hankin from The Best of Friends. To hear more about this history of disco, you can check out his book, Disco After Dark, Birth of the Disco Dance Party. And that's our show for today. I'm Leah Mallory. And I'm Nicoletta Papavasilakis. Check back with us tomorrow at 3 o'clock for more news, music, culture, and sports. And tell your friends so they can find WFUV's What's What at WFUVnews.org and wherever you get your podcasts.